Well, good morning. I hope you guys had a great Christmas. You enjoyed the snow, maybe. Maybe that's why some of you uh, had a, maybe had a hard time getting here this morning. Roads are still kind of bad in some places. Uh, our kids were so excited to have a white Christmas, just the snow coming in. We knew, like, the forecast was showing it, and uh, new Christmas Eve service would be hit or miss, and very fitting for 2020 to have Christmas Eve service canceled. Uh, just, it's part of 2020. But thankfully, like, all those summer services where we were recording um, um, at Missio Day with Zach and Andrew, we were just recording those services that kind of got us ready for Christmas Eve. We were able just to to make that um, call that afternoon and go ahead and record it. That way it would be um, uh, better quality than what you guys are watching this morning. Um, the audio isn't as, as nice as it was on Thursday. So just thankful um, for that. And just the snow was incredible. I, our family was uh, hoping, um, probably some of them were praying, probably Olivia was praying for a big snow for um, Christmas Day. Uh, and uh, I was hoping we'd get snow. We got a little more than what I was wanting. We, we didn't get to go to my mom's for Christmas Day. Um, I don't like driving with the kids with snow on the roads. Uh, so we're going to go there today. Uh, and so sometimes you have to be careful what you ask for. We asked for snow. We wanted snow. We got a little more than what we were thinking we would get. Uh, and so you have to be careful sometimes what you ask for. Maybe you're wanting a new car. Like you're begging, Lord, please, I just need a car. The Lord gives you a car, and then you, you realize, man, this thing, I'm just spending so much money on this car. I, I wish I never had this car. Or maybe it's a relationship. You're begging, Lord, like, I just wish I had a boy or a girl in my life. And then you get that guy or girl, and you're like, mm, I should never ask for that ever. Uh, so sometimes you have to be careful what you ask for. You might actually get it. Um, if you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. The easiest way to find Malachi, I guess if you have a device, you just click the word Malachi. Uh, if you have an old school Bible, go to the middle, go to like where like Matthew is, like the middle of the Bible. So you have Matthew's gospel, turn one page back and you'll be in Malachi. And so we've been journeying through, the, through Malachi for a few weeks. And um, here we get to see Israel... Um, Israel has this desire for God to punish the wicked. And the Lord tells Israel that they don't need to worry, that uh, God will in fact bring judgment upon the wicked. And Israel might just get more than what they asked for. So let's pick up um, at the end of chapter 2, just for context, verse 17. says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say... How have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day um, of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem 
will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray together. Father, as we read your word, I pray that you would um, give us eyes to see um, the truth of this passage, that you are returning, that you are coming, that you are a refiner's fire. Lord, I pray you give us ears to hear from you this morning. Help us to look into the mirror, to hold it up uh, to ourselves and... Um, and just ask ourselves, how are we like Israel? How are we making promises that we're not keeping? That we talk a good game, but we do not back it up with our actions. So Lord, convict us, encourage us this morning. Lord, give us the desire for you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in this passage this morning, we see the fourth disagreement between God and Israel. That's, that's how Malachi's been flowing through this um, book. He has these different disagreements. There's six total. This morning, we're in the fourth disagreement. And here we see that God brings an accusation against Israel. Israel has wearied the Lord. Uh, well, Israel doesn't like the sound of that. Uh, I mean, come on, who, who wants to hear that about themselves? Who wants to be told that you weary someone by your words? Um... Has anyone ever said something like that to you? You, you too would probably get defensive. Maybe a, a spouse or a, um, a child, a friend, or even a stranger. Maybe someone has said to you, I'm, I'm just so annoyed by your words. You're, you're so exhausting. Um, thankfully, no one has ever said that to me. They may have thought it, but they've never actually uh, said that to me. But here, God was tired. He was exhausted in how Israel talked a good game but their actions proved otherwise. And Israel, like many of us would be in this situation, they became defensive. They verbally backlashed against the Lord. They say to God, how in the world can you accuse us of something like this? You are supposed to be this good God, right? Then, then why does all this evil exist around us? Everywhere we look, we see evil. Not only do we see evil, we see you blessing those who are doing evil. You are punishing the good people and delighting in the bad people. Their questioning is one that many have asked throughout history. If God is a good and just God, why then uh, does it look like bad guys often win? Why do the evil people in the world seem to have a better life, have more blessings than those who are trying to do the right thing? things. Have you ever asked that question about God? The Lord assures them um, that he will answer them, um, but it might not be the way they envision. They need to be careful what they ask for. God will, in fact, keep his promises. God defends his justice to Israel by promising vengeance through this messenger who will purify the priests and judge Israel. We see this promise uh, to send the messenger in verse 1. 
the challenge in verse 1 here, as we look at this, is to properly identify all the agents here. There, there's, there's a lot going on in this one verse. Let's read it again. It says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. There's four potential agents here. Like you have I and he, the Lord, you, his, the messenger of the covenant. Um, you know, are these two different messengers? You have my messenger and then the messenger of the covenant. Is the first messenger referring to Elijah, John the Baptist type figure? And the second messenger, the messenger of the covenant, is possibly referring to someone like the angel of the Lord. And if it is a reference to the angel of the Lord, then this could be a reference for the Lord um, as well because there are times in the Bible where the angel of the Lord and the Lord are interchangeably used. Um, or are both references of the messenger here referring to the same person? Um, there's much debate and commentaries about who actually are, you know, these, like, who is the his and, and he and the messenger, messenger of the covenant. And so there's, there's, they're kind of all over the place on who these figures are. But what every commentary um, agrees on is that the Lord has used messengers to prepare and to warn his people about his coming and what he is going to do with those who have chosen to oppose him. Each four Gospels um, refer to this, this messenger um, here, Malachi, with the ministry of John the Baptist. So every commentary would agree on that. It seems like the phrase, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, is best understood as Christ fulfilling this promise by coming into the temple during the week prior to his death. So basically the Lord is saying to Israel, you want to see justice? Be careful what you ask for. A few hundred years prior to Malachi, the prophet Isaiah warned Israel of this messenger or servant that would come and he would be the one that would bring justice. Um, so I'm sure that's what Israel's the Israelites are kind of thinking, where is this one? And, and, and here, Malachi is reminding them, don't worry, he is, he is coming. Isaiah 42 says this, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So here's this one who's coming. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it hurt in the street, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Notice the certainty which the Lord speaks here. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. So he has established justice in the earth. He, he would not bring justice by shouting out on the streets, but by crying out on the cross. Isaiah continues, he says, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand. 
and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This passage is fascinating because it exposes the flaw in Israel's rebuttal against the Lord. They accuse God of tolerating injustice. This is the irony in their claim. In one sense, they're absolutely right in saying that God has been allowing evil to go unpunished. But they need to understand just how kind God has been to them. As we've seen in the last few weeks of Malachi, they are the ones that are not living holy lives. They, in a sense, are the evil ones. So just maybe they might actually um, be the ones that God has been patient in dealing with their sins. God could have um, wiped them out. If they want the evil people wiped out, God said, you might want to be careful what, what you ask for. Yet here in Isaiah 42, he says, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. We saw from Malachi chapter 1 that God initiated this, this covenant with Jacob, um, with Israel, and he didn't begin this covenant with them because of, um, uh, of how righteous they were, that they deserved it. He, he began this covenant because he loved them. He chose them out of all the people. He chose them. Um, that's why God um, began this covenant. Um, and so because of that, he's calling them righteous. It's not because they've earned that title. It's because he's given it to them. So thus far from this passage, we, we have seen um, the people's interrogation of God. Um, then we saw God's promise to send this messenger. And now we see the need for the purification um, of the priests and for all of Israel. Look down at verse 2 and 3. Verse 2 says this, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Uh, that's, that's strong language. This, this does not seem like it's talking about Jesus' first coming. Christ's first coming um, isn't described with phrases like endure the day or who can stand when he appears. His initial advent... His coming was about redeeming the people, about freeing those who have been held captive, not about refining. Jesus came to offer up his life as a sacrifice for all mankind. He came to set free the captive sinner and to establish his kingdom. So that was his first coming. Um, however, at his second coming, he will act as this judge and purifier. This passage is not a warning of destruction, 
um, for, for those in Christ, but a promise of purification. Malachi assures the people that Messiah brings with him this refiner's fire. So what in the world is a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap? Now, most of us have probably heard of like a refiner and a fire, um, that they use it to separate the impurities of the actual metal. It's a, it's a process where like gold, silver, copper, other metals, they're heated until they liquefy. Then all the impurities, they float to the top, the refiner can skim them off. Then once that process is complete, the, the metal, it's, it's free of impurities, and therefore it's of greater value, greater worth, and even greater usefulness. So that's refiner's fire. That's probably more common for us. But how many of you have actually heard of a fuller soap? Any of you? None in the first service had either. Um, I had never heard of fuller soap. Um, so I had to do some research to figure out what in the world this was. And by research, I mean I Googled it, right? That's what we do. That's research today. I Googled what is fuller soap. And uh, it's fascinating. Basically, fulling, it's a process of beating wool in order to make it thicker and stronger. Uh, the fuller is the one who is actually doing the process. The fuller soap would be the next step in this process. Once the wool had been beaten to make it stronger and thicker, then it would be clean with the soap um, so that it would be made white and, and pure. So let's think about this. The, the, the precious metals and the wool were made more valuable by putting fire to the metal and by beating and washing the wool. There's a picture here for us as Christians that we need to understand. You will be purified. That's what, there's a promise here. You will be purified. Romans 8, Philippians 3, they even use this in past tense, meaning that, that God has purified you or glorified you. Um, Philippians 3 says that he's glorified your lowly body. All right? That's incredible news for us, that, that we've already been past tense glorified. So in one sense, God is, is, is not going to lose any of his children that he could speak like this has already happened, that you're purified, you're glorified. That's incredible news for us. But there's also the not yet of this glorification or purification. Um, if I took this mic and went around the room, all of you could share how, you know, you're not perfect. There's things that God is still working in your life. There's things that you're ashamed of, that you can't live the way that you want to live. So there's still the not yet of this. So from our perspective, this is the refiner's fire, the fuller's soap. The purification process will one day be completed, but at this time it has not yet been completed. So this process for the Christian is called sanctification or discipline. This is how the Bible speaks of this process. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 12. I love this chapter. Um, Hebrews 12, uh, it's so encouraging for us. Starting in verse 5, it says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So here's this idea that, that you are sons and daughters of God. 
Okay, this is his picture. And that, and, and this is that we should not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Why? Why should we not? Why shouldn't we get upset when we're being disciplined? Well, verse 6 gives us the answer. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Um, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So the first service, this front row was full of my kids, whom my wife and I, we discipline. And it's, it's hard, it's painful, it's, um, it's exhausting. But we do it because we love them. We want to point them to um, um, the way that God would want them to, to live and hitting uh, their siblings or you know, being disobedient, is, that's not... That's not what, that's not God's best interest for them. So we discipline them. And this is saying God does the same thing with us, those whom he calls sons and daughters. He's disciplining. It's all for a reason, because he loves us. If he didn't discipline us, like the neighbor kids, I don't really discipline them. They're, they're, that's somebody else's um, work to do. It's not, not mine. Um, and so the fact that God disciplines us is a good thing for us. Shows us that he loves us because we are his. We belong to him. Um, he continues here in Hebrews. Besides this, verse 9, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and respect, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. We can say amen to that, right? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So those of you who are parenting small children, memorize, meditate, verse 11. Oh my goodness, so many days. Verse 11 has helped me get through hard days with parenting. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That is why the Lord is disciplining us. He knows that later it's going to yield this peaceful fruit of righteousness. Um, the fact that you experience trials proves that God loves you. That sounds crazy because I tell that to my children. We discipline them. Uh, and, and they may say, you know, you don't even love me. I'm like, no, this is why I'm disciplining you, because I love you. Um, and, and so God is disciplining us because he loves us, because we are his, and he wants us to grow. So praise be to God for purging us through those suffering. Uh, the goal for God is to conform us into the image of his son. That's so important for us to understand. That's his goal, is to shape you into the image of Christ. The goal for God is not to make us happy, okay? Just like my goal for my children cannot be to make them happy. That would be impossible, be miserable, because there's 
their emotions all over the place, trying to make them happy. That's just going to make them self-centered is all that's going to do. So God's goal is not to make us happy primarily. It's not to make us healthy. It's not to make us wealthy. It is to make us holy. It is to conform us into the image of His Son. And so we see that fire in our life, that God puts us to that test. Um, he takes that soap out and washes us to make us clean. So in this passage, we see God bringing a charge against Israel, that he was weary of their words. Israel then gets defensive and questions God's justice. They accuse God of allowing evil to go unpunished. God then informs them that all the evil will be punished, and some of you are going to be in for a surprise on that day, capital D, day. On that day, the messenger is coming, and there will be a separation. But that separation will not be good from evil, but pure from impure. That's going to be the separation on the day. Those that have been purified from the refiner's fire will be separated from those who have impurity in their life. Look at verses 4 through 6. We see this day. Verse 4, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. So here, God expands the purification from not just the priests, but to the Israelites as a whole. He is charging the nation for participating in four prohibited areas, each of which kind of come from this idea of not fearing the Lord. So not fearing the Lord, for them, led to sorcery, adultery, lying, and oppressing vulnerable members of society. So sorcery here, like, it's not simply referring to like using a Ouija board or tarot cards, all right? Sorcery refers to like when people look to other things, whether they're foreign gods or simply magic for power, for might. Um, the people desired something or someone other than God, which exposed their lack of fear towards him. Um, we also see that adultery and lying, just like sorcery, these are all explicitly prohibited from the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not, and here they were breaking them. They, they knew better. They were making promises that they were going to keep all the law, and yet they continued to fail. And we see here their, their heart just being exposed. The covenant people, marked by fear of the Lord, were to remain faithful to their partner, to their spouse, to be honest before God. But these sins that we see here just reveal their heart. We see they oppress the most vulnerable in society. Israel showed that they had forgotten their history. Throughout the Old Testament, God reminded Israel to care for the helpless. You see that all throughout the Old Testament. To have alms, to give to the poor, to the needy, those who are helpless. Because Israel themselves had been a helpless nation when they were in Egypt. Yet the Lord showed mercy and kindness upon them. By oppressing the weak, the Israelites are simply showing how ungrateful they are 
and how they had forgotten the grace the Lord had shown to them. They showed no fear of the Lord of hosts. Having the fear of the Lord for us helps us, preserves us for the day of judgment. It teaches us to live in light of God's grace and mercy. That we don't take his kindness for granted. See, you are not a part of the new covenant because you have lived a good enough life or because you deserved it. You are part of this covenant because of the great love with which God has loved you. That he has pulled you out, he has rescued you. And without having this proper fear of the Lord of hosts and this day of the judgment, I believe that we can be just like Israel. We can just forget about what he has done for us. We can forget the beauty of the gospel. The good news of this passage is that there was a messenger of the covenant who would come. And in his life, this messenger upheld the covenant between God and Israel. He, was, he never wandered from the way. Um, and we see that he sealed the covenant in his blood at the cross. So every time we take the Lord's Supper, so next week if you come back, we will take the Lord's Supper, and we will proclaim by doing the Lord's Supper that the messenger has come. So that's what we're doing. We're looking back to what he has done, but we're also looking that he will come again. Uh, we look back at his faithfulness, trusting in the promise of his grace. Um, and we know that when we stand before the judge on that day, capital D, it will not be by our good works that we can stand there innocent. It will be by the blood of Christ that we will make our plea, um, not by our good deeds. And on that day, it will be the most polarizing day in human history. For those of you who have seen the polarizing um, views of this 20, of just 2020 from whether it's um, from coronavirus, the different thoughts and of that from the election of 2020, you think this year has been polarizing, wait until this day. 2020 will, uh, will it pales in comparison to the day the Lord returns. On that day, for some, I pray for all of you, but for some, it will be the greatest day you could ever imagine. I can't, I can't even like fathom that, like how amazing that would be, like if the Lord would come back today, that we got to see his return. Like that would be incredible. And think about all the things, like I know you guys have a wedding coming up, you're excited about. I promise you, the best that I can promise you, I think when that moment the Lord would return, you're not, you're not going to wish like, oh, I wish we could have got married first. You're going to even gonna think about that. Those of you who are like longing to see a, a child born or a child to be baptized or to finish something, you're not going to think, all that stuff's going to pale in comparison to that day when he returns. It's going to be incredible to see him face to face on that day. But on that day, for many, how horrific and tragic it will be. Because it will be a day too late for them to bow their knee. It will be a day filled with great sorrow. This is one of the reasons why we need to be a church that preaches evangelism. That we need to model evangelism. We must make evangelism a priority because there is a day, capital D, 
And on that day, it's going to be too late for those who haven't bowed their knee. And that's why we need to, to talk about evangelism. We need to talk about missions. We need to promote the giving and going of missions. Um, I have here in my notes that we are close to making our goal for Lottie Moon. That's what I said in the first service, that we were close. Now I can say that we made the goal. So praise God. But let's keep giving because there, there's coming a day where there's going to be no more missionaries ever again. There'll be no more Lottie Moon Christmas offering on that day. Missions will be done. And so we need to keep giving. We need to keep going because there's men and women around the world who are able to stay on the field or go on the field because of your gift, your generosity. And that day, you know, we're closer to that day today than we were last Sunday when we gathered here in this room. And next Sunday, if the Lord tarries, then we will be another week closer, another day closer. Um, Andrew, if you'll go ahead and come back up, we're going to keep singing this morning. But let me say this. Israel was really good at making promises. They were not very good at keeping them. Their empty words exhausted the Lord. He was weary. If you're anything like me, you are also good at making promises that you struggle to keep. And as next week comes up, New Year's, it's a great time we make all these resolutions. We're going to keep getting shape and all the other things. And oftentimes we're not very good at keeping them. But understand this truth. Because of the gospel, the Lord does not grow weary of us. Because of the gospel, because of the righteousness of Christ, the Lord finds pleasure in us. I pray that as the Lord does not grow weary of us, that you and I do not grow weary of the gospel message. That it never becomes just old news. It's always good news. So may the Lord give us a desire for him and for his good news. Let's pray. Um, Lord, you are so kind um, to give us this warning about a day that's coming that we don't have forever. Um, as we sang about earlier, we are a mist. That we appear for a short time and then we vanish. So Lord, may we not waste our lives on things that just won't matter. Um, Lord, we thank you for the refining process that you put us through, um, for cleansing us. And Lord, we pray that you would continue that process. Help us to trust you during that process. Or give us a zeal, a boldness to tell others about this good news. That we would leave this place um, maybe with some faces, some names in our mind that we need to just reach out to this week, that we need to be praying for more diligently. Lord, we thank you for your kindness. Thank you for being um, patient with us. Uh, and we thank you for your, uh, for your mercy and grace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.